Shameless Media. This episode of the Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Bailey's, inspiring indulgence through me time moments. Hello and welcome to our November instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we read Good Material by none other than Dolly Alderton. Good Material tells the story of Andy who's recently split from his long-term partner Jen. We follow Andy on his painful self-indulgent journey of heartbreak as he desperately tries to solve the puzzle of their broken relationship. After all, he figures if he can find the answer to that, then maybe Jen will find her way back to him. But alas, Good Material is not a love story. It's about the wreckage and the anatomy of a breakup and why the most powerful ending of all can be the one where you choose yourself. Oh, Sarah. I'm sorry, but I had to have that in the Did intro. you write that yourself? Well, yeah, but it's so oh, earnest. But I was gorgeous. like, I think that's going to be the mood of this recording, guys. <laughs> oh, I'm nervous. I know you haven't introduced us I haven't yet. introduced anyone <laughs> I'm Zara McDonald. Today I'm joined by Stranger Than Fiction host and Scandal researcher Eilish Gilligan and Shameless Media's co-founder Michelle Andrews. Hi. Hi. All right, now back to it. We're nervous and emotional? Well, preparing, I did something I've never done before. As I was preparing my notes for this episode, I needed to go get myself some paper towel to dab away my tears ever so lightly. I feel, it is day one of my period to be really transparent with the (laughs) listeners, but I feel very emotional. Eilish, you feel the same? I feel the same. When Mish popped her head up and said, guys, I might cry in this episode, I was like, same. (laughs) I was actually really relieved when you said that because I felt exactly the same. I was rereading parts of this book as I was prepping for this and my heart had that heavy feeling again. Mm. So I think it's very obvious from the outset to say we have lots of feelings. Let's start what we always do with a bit of kind of context on the author and book. I mean, it goes without saying, we've done a lot of Dolly on the book club. Our audience knows who Dolly Alderton is, but let's talk about this book and the background of it. Eilish, I will start with you. So where do you want to kick us off? This was actually my first Dolly Alderton book ever. I've never read anything by her before. I know. A total gap in my pop culture knowledge. And, you know, I loved it, spoiler alert. But I was really fascinated by Dolly's choice to write this book from a man's perspective. It's something that I thought was really kind of bold. Even though it sounds quite simple, it was very bold in my mind. She had this interview with Penguin Books and she spoke about this decision. And she said... As a woman, I really wanted to try and delve into what happens on the other side, not just as a writing exercise, but as an empathy exercise. As a woman who went to an all-girls school who has never quite shaken off the feeling that men might be from a different planet, I learned from writing this book that they most certainly are not. Mm. And I think that's so relatable. Like, as you grow older, you realise that, yes, men process things super differently, but there is so much more to find relatable within their experience than there is to find different. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, what a good point. No, I completely agree. I think I found her writing from a male perspective very powerful. I think it also, for me, seemed incredibly pragmatic. I think if you've read her first two books, you know a lot of those two books are about heartbreak and particularly from a female experience. And I think as a writer and also as a famous person, mm. it must be very hard to write about heartbreak without people trying to draw parallels between you and the characters you write about. Yes. And so I think for her to write about this from the perspective of a man, but also infuse it, I imagine, with her own feelings about heartbreak. I mean, it would be impossible to write about heartbreak without putting your own... Putting some of yourself in there. Totally, because yeah. it's such a, an individual experience. I've just found it pragmatically 
very, very clever, Mish. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, I've had the immense privilege of being able to interview Dolly just as this book was coming out. And the fact that she interviewed so many men in her life yeah. about their lives and their kind of thought processes post-breakup, I just felt like that really rang true when you read this book. I really felt like it was the male perspective. So for her to be able to really get herself in that groove and really communicate the way I think so many men Mm. think and feel post-breakup was just a testament to Dolly's writing. I think as well, it's a huge thing for her to take a risk like this post everything I know about love. I know that book came out a long time ago, but it's still the book that everyone mentions first when it comes to Dolly Alderton. And to take a risk like this coming off the back of the success of a book like that was just huge. Yeah, it depends how you consider risk though, right? Because I think there was an interesting profile I read of Dolly in the Sunday Times in celebration of the release of this book. And she said, I had to make peace with the fact that my biggest hit might be the book I wrote when I was 28 and that is totally fine. It liberated me. Mm. I mean, for what it's worth, everything I know about love has sold 800,000 copies. I can't even fathom how many copies of books that is. And I think, yes, in many ways, it's sort of a risk. But I think if you come at it from the perspective of, well, I've probably done the biggest thing I'm ever going to do commercially. Everything else can be... A bit of a passion The broke. shackles are off. A little yeah. bit. I mean, I think it's naive to say you can kind of do whatever you want. Mm. But I think there is some element of like, let's see what happens. Do you agree with that? Do you think everything I know about love will be her biggest hit with this book in mind? I think it might be her biggest commercial hit. I don't think it'll be her most critically acclaimed yeah. work to really get ahead of ourselves. This is my favourite thing she's ever done. And I've loved so many things that she's done. I think this tops everything I know about love personally. As someone who'd never read anything by Dolly before, this was the thing that I heard all the conversation about. Like coming in, this was the moment for Dolly. Like I realised that that book cover that I'd seen a million times, everything I know about love in like the airport or whatever, that was her, I realised that was her later. You know? Yeah, how interesting. interesting. I think this is definitely the strongest writing I've ever seen from her. I just wanted to quickly read you a quote that's not as relevant to the book at hand, but I just (laughs) found fascinating in my research before we jump into the book. I'm obsessed with this quote. I think I actually want to put it on my wall somewhere. But in this uh, Sunday Times interview that Dolly did, she was talking a lot about what it is and what it means to be called the voice of a generation or the voice of millennial women and how much she struggles with that and kind of how cyclical we are in putting that title on people and then telling them that actually they don't speak for every woman and then kind of pulling them down. And we're just so predictable. And she said, I love to defend Sally Rooney. I've heard people in the industry debate whether she deserves all the accolades because there's so much sycophancy around her work. It's amazing to me how many people think she's responsible for that, that she set out to do it like it's her fault everyone fell in love with her books. That is none of her business. She didn't choose that. I have been so unimpressed with how reductive people have been about associating a woman's fandom or the conversation around a woman's work with the intentions of the woman. Mm. I just, I loved that so much because Mm. she's like, I'm putting this work out into the world, but what you guys label it as is none of my business. Let's get into that work to start. please. We will start with the characters. I only really have one major character I want to talk about. (laughs) Andy Eilish, how did you feel about Andy? Oh, Andy. I don't even know where to even begin with him, but... I suppose I should start with the fact that reading from his perspective felt so real. It felt so vibrant. And this is like a common theme throughout the entire book that I found. It just felt so real to me, devastatingly so. And his character in particular felt so real right down to like the most frustrating 
aspects of his personality and the way that he dealt with the breakup, all of those absurd things that he did with the houseboat. And that was with, so funny. Honestly. <laughs> I actually didn't find it funny. Really? I think that's the crux of it. It's yeah. like, it's funny, but it's also deeply serious. It's pathetic. Yeah. It's pathetic in its hilarity. I yeah. found it. I mean, this was actually one of my weaknesses and almost oh. one of my only weaknesses. Mm. So sorry to spoiler alert. I just found it a bit absurdist and like not particularly true <sighs> to me anyway. I was just like, oh, it's such an unsexy image and it is so pathetic as you both said. I find reading pathetic people kind of hard. Mm. So I did have some of that around him. I will say as somebody who has led like quite a creative life, I've been a musician for a decade or whatever, went to art school. I have watched creative heterosexual men in my life deal with heartbreak in a very absurd and nonsensical way. You're so right. So for me, I could see this man being like, yeah, houseboat, that's a good idea. And I noticed that I could remember moments in my past where I've watched young men deal with the same feelings in a very similar way. Even moving in with Morris as well, I think is yeah. just like such a random thing to do and so indicative of that kind of behavior where men have all these feelings and they don't know what to do with them and they don't know how to deal with them and none of their friends have any idea either Mm. so they lash out in these really bizarre ways and I I thought Dolly did such a great job yeah the reason I believed the houseboat bit was because he's a comedian Mm. so I feel like he is doing that thing where he's acting out the bit even when he's oh, not acting out. Plot. The, do it yeah. for the plot. Do You're it for the right. good material. That's why I never questioned that the failing comedian would be like, yeah, now I'm going to live on a houseboat and that's going to be hilarious. And then it ends up being this pathetic thing where the houseboat what gets drenched in the first night. I loved that bit. I remember saying to you, Zara, when we read this book, that was one of my favourite bits. And you were like, oh, I didn't I didn't like that. No, <laughs> I, I actually didn't love reading from Andy. I didn't yeah. hate it. It's so it's such an interesting thing, this book, because, Mish, you gave it to me and you were like, this is the best thing she's ever written and la, la, la. And I was reading it and I was like, and when's it going to hit? Mm. When is it going to hit? And it hit. Like, mm. it really, really hit. But I, do, I think the power of this book for me and I know we'll get to this in a bit, was at sort of the last 70 or so pages. Mm. And I had to kind of get through the rest of it in order to get there. Mm. With Andy, as I said, I don't love reading Pathetic and I found him completely pathetic. But then I also (laughs) had to be self-aware, right? If someone was writing a novel and my experience of heartbreak was the centre of it, I'd be completely pathetic too. Mm -hmm. So then I kept kind of oscillating between like, would I do this? Is this like a generally pathetic, heartbroken person or does he go to the ends of the earth to kind of be really self-centred? And I think I ended up landing on, no, I think he goes pretty far beyond the (laughs) average pathetic, heartbroken person. I mean, there's this passage on 158 that I want to read to you and there are so many passages, guys, I want to read to you today. Oh, I think we're all going to be in this boat. I'll read your passage (laughs) next as well. (laughs) Um, It's on 158 when he bumps into his ex, Daisy, on the street. And he goes, the conversation continues in this way for a few minutes, taking turns to ask each other questions about our lives, replying with answers that don't encourage further chat. As she speaks, I read her face for clues of how she's feeling. I want to say, I am so sorry. 
you've bumped into me. I am so sorry this must have ruined your day and maybe even your week. I now know how much time you've spent imagining this moment of us seeing each other for the first time. I know it's not how you hoped it would be. You're probably not wearing exactly what you'd wished you'd worn. You're not saying the things you're going to wish you said. You don't have the man on your arm to show me what I missed out on. I now understand what it is to want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you anymore. I know how painful it was and probably still is and I am so sorry I put you through it. I just read that and I was like, man, she doesn't think about you at all. Yeah. Like you are so self-involved, like disgustingly so. It's so embarrassing. It is, but I found Andy perfect because he had moments like that where you wanted to shake him or I don't know, you wanted to kind of like knock some sense into him. But then he had other moments where he was just downright really fucking funny. Like I actually <laughs> found myself in this book. You're like, why is he a failed comedian? <laughs> <laughs> I found myself in this book genuinely laughing out loud, which as I've said on this book club before is so rare. I'm going to read you one of the listicles on page 174. And I got to say, this is one of Zara's favorite listicles as well. Oh, so I laughed out loud only at the bottom line of this. I think I know you're, what I you're going to read. Was, all right. It goes... I make a mental list of all the things I would be willing to do, actually realistically willing to do to have Jen break up with Seb and be in love with me again. I play out each of the following scenarios in my head several times and this is what I conclude. Give a man a handjob if I didn't have to look at his face for the duration. Lose a bit of hair at the front, not anymore at the back. Go to her parents' house every weekend for lunch for the rest of my life. Give up alcohol for two years. Never eat ham again. This one isn't good. Have my only remaining grandparent die peacefully. <laughs> Live in Hammersmith. Never buy another pair of sunglasses. Lose a finger or toe under general anaesthetic. Limbs too far. Could probably also get a show out of it. I just, sorry, it was the grandparent line that cracked. Yeah. I laughed out loud and I never laugh out loud at books. But I thought it was perfect. Lose my last remaining grandparent. Well, like not perfect as in like <laughs> I wouldn't want that. But I can imagine someone this self-involved. And also there is also a relatable aspect to it. I mean, maybe I'm exposing myself, but... I think in the past I have done things like that where it's like whoever is above, God, someone else, whoever's looking over me right now, I would rather a scenario of X, Y, and Z than the one I am in right I'll now. I'll trade you. I'll, I'll trade, trade you. you these things. Yeah. Like It's bargaining with life. Yeah. And even though the actual dot points we ourselves might not believe, that mental process of trying to bargain with a higher power, even one that you don't believe in, it's, is so, it's just so true. So much of this was so true. That listicle is so indicative of Andy as a character as well. I love this about the way Dolly wrote this book. We get indications of what the character is really like through these listicles and through these letters and things like that. That first element of that list where he's like, I'll give a man a handjob if I don't have to look at him. Yeah. It's like that says so much about Andy and so much about his friends and so much about how he relates to other men and how he mm. cannot be vulnerable in any way and this slight homophobia as well is just like it's so perfectly inserted so that we almost subconsciously understand what he's like. Mm. Yeah, well, I think his grapplings with masculinity were really fascinating. I mean, the balding mm. patch on his head that he was, like, tracking, like, mm. no tomorrow. The album named Bald, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but then also on, like, in some parts of the book, you know, when he goes to drinks with his friends for the first time and he kind of has this passage where he's like, and can you believe it, for three hours we sat there and no one mentioned my breakup. Mm. And I sort of felt two things about this scene. It was like, God, yeah, of course. 
That's men. Yeah. That is men going to the pub after one of them's going through a breakup and they think they're doing the right thing by not bringing it up. So in that sense, I felt really sorry for him. But in the second part of it, I was like, but you haven't shown much vulnerability yourself in mm. this. It's like you expect men sometimes expect it from other men, but don't actually give it to each other. Totally. It's like you all constructed this dynamic together. You were part of it. And now when you want the benefits of yeah. vulnerability yeah. and connection, it's not there. You feel like it's owed to you, but you haven't actually given it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing with Andy, right? He thinks he's owed the world, but has given nothing totally. to the world. Well, at least the first half of the book, Andy, is that way. I think the character development is actually such a strength of this book. Yes, he was like that, but then his friend John goes through heartbreak. And yes, at the beginning, he yeah. gives him nothing. But by the end of the book, he's written him that letter totally. of what the heartbreak will be like and what he wishes someone had told totally. him. Like he does develop that sensitivity and that vulnerability that you're wanting from him mm. so much, you eventually get it. There's a passage on 280 from Andy. It's between Andy and his mum. And it honestly made me cry when I read it because you do see a man finally grow up in mm. this book and it feels like such success or such a payoff. He says, I don't know how to get over it, mum. At this point, I'm so tired of myself. I don't know how to let go of her. His mum replies, you don't let go once. That's your first mistake. You say goodbye over a lifetime. You might not have thought about her for 10 years. Then you'll hear a song or walk past somewhere you once went together. Something will come to the surface that you'd totally forgotten about. And you'll say another goodbye. You have to be prepared to let go and let go and let go a thousand times. Then at the end of this section, he says, this is his internal dialogue. I go upstairs to bed and I remember when Jen first came to stay here, how strange it was to wake up next to her in my childhood bedroom. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, this is good. This is where we're going with the app. I say goodbye and it feels okay. I say all my goodbyes, ready, no doubt, to meet her again tomorrow and to say goodbye all over again. Oh, I can't. Like, I just, the way Dolly writes heartbreak, I can't, like... I can't even post, like, my brain is, like, such a dumb brain. I'm like, <laughs> this woman is so clever. Was, She's so yeah. insightful. There's a way that she reads emotion that is genius. Like, this woman is a genius when it comes to human emotion mm. to me. And the way Andy went from this bumbling fool that made you fucking hate him at points to being this guy... I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I completely... I think her her skills in observation are just, like... Second to none. Yeah, they're just insane. Like, it's it, it's hard not to read this book and to centre yourself in it. And I think that's what's so powerful about it. I think mm. that's why people get so emotional. I mean, sorry to bring it back to Andy being annoying. Because you, <laughs> you did the whole, like, anyway, so he had this character development. But truthfully, I don't actually think the power of this book for me sat in Andy's character development. I think I didn't mm. care enough about him to care about his character development. And I know this might sound harsh but I think there is something I still find frustrating about a guy getting to nearly 40 and having to go through something to understand why other people yes. might be upset going through it themselves like that's still like not the perfect character to me it's still kind of frustrating because it's like how many years of your life have you lived as the center of your own story and when spoiler alert Jen ended up you know entering the fold and you started hearing from her perspective which I know we will get to more after the break but she had this anecdote about Andy and I was like fuck you 
Andy. Mm. She said, Andy gave my mum a pair of karaoke mics for her birthday. Oh, my God. He knows (laughs) she's never done karaoke in her life. And, in fact, the most modern song she's ever sung is Handel's Messiah in the church choir. And as I saw her open the gift trying to think of something polite to say, I thought about how Andy always does whatever Andy wants to do. I thought back on all the presents I bought for his mum over the years and how much time I'd put into each of them, how I'd listened every time she said she liked a piece of jewellery I wore or mentioned a book she wanted to read and mentally noted it for her birthday and Christmas. Andy kept laughing to me afterwards about how baffled my mum had looked when she opened the present, and I realised he'd chosen not to be thoughtful but to be funny instead to no one but himself I read this and again I thought a couple of things the first was like again fuck you Andy and secondly I was like not to broad stroke men with the same brush but this is what men do sometimes Mm. they can get away with not having to like do what Jen does which is take mental notes of when people mention things for next Christmas presents and whatever it might be it's like the mental load of being a woman and a man in, in those scenarios just really struck me because I was mm-hmm. like it's not like I know many men who would do exactly what Andy did mm-hmm. but it just felt like the kind of thing that only a guy would do they can go through life being thoughtless yeah, yeah I think I know Andy is really annoying on one side and also goes through a pretty significant character development on the other. But one thing, again, the way that Dolly inserts these tiny little indications of his character and why, I think Dolly created quite a big problem for herself when it came to why Jen would have fallen in love with Andy in the first place. And I think she did a really, really good job of peppering in these little sweet things of Mm. Andy's that would have been charming to Jen, particularly the Julian Assange letter for Morris that he did. I thought it was really beautiful. And also when Jen and Andy get together again for the first time in a long time to go to Avi's kid's birthday party Mm. and he's playing with the kids, you can tell that Jen finds that quite endearing. I think Dolly just peppered these tiny little things throughout that were like, yes, he can be charming, he can be endearing, here's how, but his internal monologue is the thing that's actually giving us a full indication of what he's like. Her characters in this book were so fleshed out and mm. I remember that being a criticism I had of Ghosts where some of them felt a little bit caricature This book, to me, it felt like we got a very 360 picture of each person. Mm. Well, before we go to the break, I have a quick question. Are there any other characters you actually want to talk about? Because we've barely mentioned Jen, but I think for me... So much of what I loved about Jen was what she represented and all of that is sitting in my strengths for this book, which we'll talk about after the break. Avi and Jane were fine. Everybody else was fine. I loved how few characters they but were. But I, mm. I just don't have that much to say. I loved Morris. I thought Morris was great. But again, that's that's the extent of what I want to say about him. I thought that he was the quirky, confusing guy, but I could definitely see the purpose he served by the end of the book. I actually wanted to touch on Emery because I think he is one of the only men in the entire book, even though he is absolutely bizarre, <laughs> that had a sense of self. Like all of these other men had no concept of how to deal with hard feelings. Whereas Emery, even though he was a bit eccentric, actually had this kind of vision of how he was going to deal with bad times. And like the article that comes out about Andy and he's actually got some insightful, comforting things to say to Andy when that comes out. He was like a really sturdy character. Yeah. Like he had a strong sense of self. Well, there was no doubt there's a reason that a character like Emery is the one that ends up finding success. And I think Mm. it was even more frustrating to me to, you know, hear how annoyed Andy felt about that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I am sure it's it's incredibly human to have like mixed emotions when Mm. you're in the same industry as someone and, and they just fly and you flail. But I didn't see any of the, oh, but I'm a little bit 
happy for oh, him. It yeah. just goes to show, like it just went to show how pathetic Andy was and how, like we were saying before, he expects things from people, but he never gives it's it that, to them. Well, Andy thought the world owed him something. Yes. Yeah, Andy came into the world expecting that by design of being a man who's a bit funny, he deserves the level mm. of fame that Emery has actually achieved. And it's kind of hilarious to see that dawning realisation in real time but that you have, no. You have to work yeah. for it. The last thing I'll say on the characters is I really, I did enjoy reading Morris. My only struggle was that I felt like I could see Dolly in oh, the writing. Like okay. I could see, like Morris felt a bit caricature in that I can yep. see Dolly mm. writing this. I can see her finding it funny. I can see her sitting at her desk cackling a little bit, yeah. writing this character, yeah. which is like maybe on me for reading too much Dolly <laughs> and knowing that. But that was the only thing I would say about Morris. It's like it felt, yeah, it felt distinctly Dolly, um, which I know, I mean, if that's the harshest thing I can say about this, <laughs> one character was too much like the, too much the author um, or too infused with the author, I think it's fine. We are going to go to a break right now, but after that we're going to talk about our strengths and weaknesses if we ever have any. <laughs> Nish, it is officially our favourite time of year, but it is also a very busy one. We're all flat out organising holiday events and presents and finishing up all the work that's built up, which means this can be a difficult time to find a moment for ourselves. Yes, it is pretty hectic right now, but lucky for us, today's sponsor Bailey's is here to remind us of the importance of making time for those me-time moments in between all the chaos. I have been loving the newly released Bailey's tiramisu flavoured liqueur over ice for the perfect summer's day treat. It is also great for cocktails or as an addition to a recipe to create the perfect indulgent treat. Yeah, if you're looking for a dessert all the adults will love over the holidays, I have to suggest the Bailey's Hot Chocolate Cake. My sister Evelyn is quite the baker, a shout out to her. So I'm keen to jump into the kitchen and make this with her. It's got layers of rich cake in between the decadent ganache, so it sounds like the perfect adult festive season dessert. Oh, that sounds delicious. I absolutely need to try it out too. If you are over 18 and looking for an indulgent treat head online or in store to your liquor retailer and shop baileys remember to drink responsibly thank you so much to baileys for making this episode of the shameless book club possible All right, guys, we are talking strengths and weaknesses. Mish, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with strength or weakness? I have no weaknesses, so I'll start with the strength. Just the overall structure, I think, is a huge strength for me. I just love that Dolly litters little listicles. I love the cadence of her chapters. I love the inclusion of text messages, DMs, the article, all that kind of stuff. I just feel like this book is so inviting and friendly and easy to read by design of the way it's been laid out. I completely agree. I think I opened this book and I was like, ah, it's like a warm hug because you know her writing so well. It's like Mm. quite distinct. Once you've read a few things of hers, you can see her writing and feel her writing from a mile off and that will always be such a strength of everything and anything she does. I also feel like her writing really slaps you in the face, right? Like so Mm. much of it is how few words she uses and sometimes I'll be kind of reading something and not realising that the sentence is about to stop halfway before Mm. I think it will and I'll just sort of be left picking up the pieces a little bit yeah um and I think she did that very well towards the end of the book as well when the listicles got shorter and there was like very powerful stuff where it was like reasons I don't want to be with Jen and it was just like one line and it was 
she doesn't want to be with me. Yeah, don't. No. So, sorry, I paraphrased, but it was like you just read that and that was it on the whole page. And it's like, God, you've literally just given me 10 words, but yeah. they oh, just broke I... my heart. I'm literally crying all over I, again. Oh, when I that... can't. Eilish, where are, where are your big strengths with this Oh, book? God. I have so many and I don't want to talk about the ending just yet because I know we have a big conversation to have about that. But I wanted to reiterate what, I think, Mish, you said before where Dolly's commentary on and perspective on modern relationships is so incisive. Mm. I don't even know how she managed to insert this into the book in a way that felt so natural. But on page 144, she talks about the flip. Andy has recognised that the flip has happened in his relationship with Sophie. Quote, I have a really terrible feeling that what I'm experiencing is the flip that a change in power has occurred and neither of us realised what was happening until it was done. In my experience, it happens in every single relationship that fails. It happened the other way around with me and Jen, which now feels almost unimaginable. Jen was the one who wouldn't leave me alone in the very beginning. Then about three and a half months in, something shifted. I became the person who was more interested, who was pushing for more time together. She became the manager of us. I would ask for things and she would grant them to me. She was the one with all the power because the person who is in charge in a relationship is the one who loves the least. Mm. It's like, how how have you put that in there? <laughs> it's like, why are you exposing all of us? Yeah. And it's true. It's true. It's the yeah. marker of a failed relationship. Totally. I've been through the flip. Yeah. But I didn't know it. that everybody else did. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that that was something exactly. we all have. I mean, you spoke before, Mish, about Andy's character arc and it being really strong. And I have to say, when he wrote Jen that letter at the end of the book on page 293, I want to read the end of it. Because mm. this did make me cry quite a lot because I think what it made me realise is I think so much of our discourse around relationships and breakups are that it's not a failure. But I think... Mm. What we fail to do when we're talking about breakups not being a failure is acknowledging that breakups are still tragic, mm. like deeply, deeply tragic, yeah. even if it's the best thing you'll ever do for yourself. There's a real tragedy to those last few days of a relationship, those last few conversations, like mm. to the point where I think most people would feel even triggered hearing me even reference the last few mm. conversations you'll have with an ex. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Yeah. And so for him to write this, which also might make me cry. I just bawled my eyes out. He said, I'm sorry that I loved you so much more than I liked myself. That must have been a lot to carry. I'm sorry I didn't take care of you the way you took care of me. And I am sorry I didn't take care of myself either. I need to work on it. I am so pleased that our breakup taught me that. I am sorry I went so mental. I love you. I always will. I am glad we met. And it's like, <laughs> that's what we mean when we say breakups aren't failures because it's true. You, you learn so much from other people. But as I keep saying, I, it's a, still a tragedy to me. Yeah. And the idea of the man who doesn't take care of himself and then puts that load on onto his to partner. Women. I have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that in so many of my friends and my loved ones where the man is flailing and instead of trying to fix it himself, he essentially just leans on the yeah. woman that he's with and he suffocates her. And I think for me, it's very hard reading this book if you've been in long-term relationships that have ended and not feel immense, just immense mm. things. And I think this book made me feel more th things than any other book I've read in such a long time because I think 
Dolly nailed the very intense but very common feelings women feel after leaving heterosexual relationships, how empowered you feel, how free you can feel, how incredibly powerful it is to realise that actually being on your own is better than being with someone who is just okay. Totally. And the intense level of relief that comes to you when you realise that you're there because it takes years and years and years to get there. And I, I don't think you can adequately put into words how that feels except she kind of did. And I said to you guys before we got on mic, if I had read this book when I was 24, mm. I feel like... I don't know. I think it's like this is the book I needed when I was much younger, which seems such an earnest thing to say. But it's like it is so much better to be by yourself than to be with somebody else. And there was this really, really interesting line in that Sunday Times profile I've referenced a few times where the journal writes, in good material, Andy's girlfriend, Jen, decides she'd rather be on her own than in a relationship, leaving him bereft. I found it almost embarrassing how radical it felt to read about a woman choosing that for herself. Mm -hmm. And I also felt that. It's like I almost feel embarrassed today acknowledging how emotional I feel about something this simple. Mm. Mm -hmm. I found myself yearning for Jen's perspective throughout almost every single page. Mm. But it wasn't until I actually got to Jen's perspective that I realised why Dolly had written it this way we needed to see Andy as his full self we needed to see that character arc in full before we could then get her side of the picture and it came so much later than what I thought it would and I thought that would be a weakness but when I actually got there I realized what its strength it was because the perspective from Jen in this book is some of, I actually, no, dare I say, the best thing I've ever read. Ever read. I think the best yep. 70 pages of anything I've <laughs> ever read. This is revelatory. Yes. Like, I was reading this. I was on a plane. <laughs> I was on a plane home and I was reading this and I was like, this is gold. I want every word to sit with me. I want mm. to tell everyone in my life to read this book so they can read to this part. Well, yes. I think I will go back and read the last 70 pages of this book every so often. I also read this on a plane. I wonder if that impacted <laughs> how levels of emotion. It felt like I just felt indignant and also happy. and But my heart felt very heavy at the same time. Yeah. I just, I think it also nailed how much women put up with in heterosexual relationships, in failed heterosexual relationships, especially in ones that look pretty strong from the outside. We're not talking about a guy that's like really, really toxic. We're just talking about your average relationship. And I think that's what made me so sad. That's so real. And also the fact that everyone was so surprised when this breakup happened. And everyone was so surprised when that breakup with John happened as well, even Andy. Mm. And I think that's so indicative of how we view heterosexual relationships and because they're they seem to be functioning well in public. Nobody sees the weight and the load that is just kind of... Like the slow decay. Exactly. Yeah. I think that letter that you just read a few minutes ago, that was the point where I found Andy supremely irritating yeah. because I know he was never going to give that letter to Jen and that was like great character development and whatever. <laughs> but the fact that he had to go through all of this from the start of the book to the end to be like, oh, damn, maybe I should, like, work on myself. It's like, mm. are you serious, dude? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, I think I think that's what I was trying to say before as well. It's like, glad you had some character development, but, but honestly, could you not have got here 20 years earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to read you both another passage that, to be honest, doesn't really move this conversation along in any direction <laughs> beyond me just loving this passage. But 
I think I resonated and I think maybe a lot of women would with the feeling of starting to feel single in your own relationship. Mm. And then you start to reckon with like, well, if I feel single in this relationship, should I not just be single? Mm. And this is what Jen says. I started to feel single. This can be divided into three subcategories. A, I was sick and he didn't look after me. Strep throat. It was agony. I was prescribed antibiotics for the first time since I was a kid and took my first ever sick day from work. My boss told me to take a week. Every time I spoke to a colleague or friend, they said, is Andy looking after you? And my pride wouldn't let me tell them that no, Andy was not looking after me. He did a gig every night that week, never asked me if I needed anything picking up, and I think made me one cup of tea. B, ask or task rated poorly and was switched to a graveyard time slot so even fewer people watched it. Then he got the news that it wouldn't be recommissioned, but he didn't tell me his mum did. Mm. C, I got the promotion and I didn't tell him. Mm. And I thought if I feel single, wouldn't it be easier to be single? Mm. And then I wouldn't have to worry about disappointing someone or someone disappointing me. When I'm single, I know where I am. The strep throat thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so hard. I said to Eilish as well and Mish before we got in here, it is also sort of hard to talk about this without like exposing parts of your life. <laughs> um, but I think what I'll say is I read that and I just felt like devastated for earlier versions of myself that had put up with similar things where it's like you care for the people in your world and they do not care for you back. Yeah. And yet are devastated and very shocked when the relationship ends. The shock. The yeah. shock is the thing that struck me the most throughout the entire book, the way that Andy grapples with waves of shock is just so infuriating Mm. because as a woman, even without Jen's perspective, you're reading all of this stuff and you go like, yeah, like it checks out. Like, of course you're not together, you idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's something to be said, I think, for the generational knowledge as well here. We see our grandmothers go through it. We see our mothers go through it. We see our friends go through it. And therefore, like, you can see the pattern so clearly. I feel like the inclusion on page 312, which is what I want to read out about her grandmother's oh, marriage. Yeah. Oh, I had this written me. down too. This is long. I apologise, but I, I actually think all the listeners are here with us and they want to hear I, these read out. <laughs> I think so. We're in delusion. <laughs> all right. It reads, my granny died. My granny who'd met my grandfather aged 14 and who'd never been with another man. My granny who'd had five children and dedicated her life to being a mother. A woman who once told me that all she'd ever wanted to be was a ballet dancer, but her good years were taken up by having babies and then the moment passed her by. A woman who was so dependent on her husband that when he died, she had to ring a man and pay him to change a light bulb for her. In her last weeks, she had moments of lucidity and I cherished them when I was around to talk to her. One of these conversations happened when it was just me and her in the hospital room. I suspect you will never have a husband, she said, looking at me intently from her bed. Would you be upset if that happened? I asked. Your mother would be, she said, then she lowered her voice. But I think you would be wise not to. This surprised me as I always thought that she and my grandfather had been very happy together. Why do you say that? I asked. Her hand, spotted in soft brown splodges, the rails of her bones protruding, flapped gently at me to take it. I cupped it in both of mine. You have a home that is yours, she said, and your own money, don't you? I have a bit of money, yes. And you have your education and you have your career. Then you have everything, she said. Oh, that, that, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it just like, I think that I, that generational thing of like looking at the older women and being like, you don't have to do this if you don't mm, want to. Yeah. Like there was an interview I actually read with Dolly. I actually can't remember where I read it, where she told this anecdote of 
she was kind of, she'd been on a trip post breakup with one of her friends. And that whole trip, she was like, I've been single for 10 years. Like, this is ridiculous. It's not what I want. I think she was on this trip with Caroline O'Donoghue, actually. And on the bus back to the airport, it was a two-hour bus. And she told this story of there was quite a good-looking single man on the bus. And Caroline, who was in a long-term relationship, sat next to him in quite a jolly way and spoke to him for two hours while Dolly sat in the back of the bus in her book, just sort of like staring into space. And Caroline said to Dolly after that bus trip, you're single because you want to be single. Mm. This is actually what you want for yourself. Like mm. you don't you don't want a man, but I feel like we grow up in this world where we are told that is what we want. Mm. It's not like not what we should want. We are told actually it is also what you want. So you have to almost rewire your brain to say, maybe it's actually not what I've ever wanted. Mm. Yeah. Which is what with Jen, it felt very much that anecdote with Dolly felt very reminiscent of a lot of the stuff that was coming out with Jen. Yeah. Mm. And so much of it is like it's so freeing to know that women in our generation can make that choice for ourselves and looking at the women who are older than us and their anger and their frustration at the level of sacrifice they just had to make to be women in this world. Like Mm. the analogy of older women, I think it was the Joni Mitchell documentary Mm. and her grandmothers and the woman who kicked the kitchen door off its hinges. That has stuck with me since I read this book. I read it a couple of months ago and it's the kicked the kitchen door off its hinges analogy that I've just been like, that's it. Like there's so much anger that comes with just being expected to give up every facet of yourself to make other people's lives, whether that's your husband's or your children's lives, easier. To make their lives flourish, you give up yourself. I think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this point eloquently, but I think something about Jen that I really, really appreciated is that she is fairly normal. And I think there's something about women who decide to be child-free or who decide to be single or who enjoy being single. It's almost like they're supposed to be extraordinary. Uh, Like for me, Dolly Alderton, looking at her, if she's single at the moment, I don't know if she is or not. But she is extraordinary to me. She has an amazing career. She's famous. Same with like Kylie Minogue, who like doesn't have a kid and yeah, who's never like married Julia or whatever. Gillard. It's like, oh, but they, they it was kind of like, it was a trade off almost. Like they picked it rather than just sort of wanting to exist in a certain way. Exactly. So I really loved how in this book, Jen just had like a pretty normal or average job. Like it was demanding and it was important, but it was, it was normal. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a celebrity. She didn't want to be a celebrity. It just felt really comforting to know that, like, if that were a choice that I was personally going to make for myself, you don't have to be this, like, amazing Otherworldly woman. You can just be a woman. Just be normal. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a tweet a couple of months ago, and gosh, I feel quite bad because I can't remember who tweeted it. And if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's one that I haven't stopped thinking about ever since. And it's about how someone said something like, notice at every funeral you go to of a woman over a certain age the main thing people will say in their eulogies is how much they cared for other people. Mm. And I was like reading this book, thinking a lot of in the context of that tweet too, because I think if you do, I feel like so much of our experience in the world is like caring for a partner or expected to care for a partner and then care for children if we have them and then care for our parents and our siblings and whoever it might be. And it's like, I remember seeing that tweet and reading this book at a similar time being like, I want to be known as like really kind and really thoughtful, but I do not want to get to my funeral and be looking from above and hearing people say that all they did was care for people. And I think that's what's going to hopefully be a little more radical about our generation is that I very much hope that by the time that happens... That's not what is the only thing said about us, that we have identities outside of being carers. Yeah. Mm. And it's wild that it is kind of radical now, right? Like even the conversation between Andy's mum and Jen towards the end of the book where Mm. 
where Andy's mum admits that she thinks all the time about what she loves her son. Of course, she loves mm. her son, but her mind constantly wanders to the alternate reality where she didn't have yeah. a child and yeah. what, what her life could have looked like if she was just her own person. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I imagine so many people felt uncomfortable reading that or feel uncomfortable as I'm saying that right now. Because what a taboo thing to say you wondered what your life would be like if you didn't choose to have this child. But that is so real again. Yes. And I act, there are Reddit threads filled with people, particularly mothers, wondering what life would have looked like if they hadn't have gone through with their pregnancies mm. when they did. And they do now have children that they love, but they partly wish that they didn't. And I wish that was a conversation we could have more. I don't know if we'll ever be able to have that conversation. I don't know. I think we can only have it fictionally. I agree Mm. with that. Or anonymously. No one's ever putting their face to that. And fair enough, to be honest, I don't even know if I want it to be a conversation that people put their face to. Oh, well, then the children then have to cope with that. But I agree. I think it's kind of the perfect thing to explore with fiction. I want to know, with all of this in mind, what you guys would rate this book. Can I go first? Yeah, well, go for it. It's a five for me. It's one of my favourite things I've ever read. I said it after I finished. I laughed. I cried. I don't know. It just means a lot to me, this book. Mm. It's like I don't think every word was perfect or every page was perfect, but I don't think I've been as affected by a book as I have this one. Yep. Mm. Eilish. So I went through a real journey with this book because (laughs) I found Andy so confrontingly insufferable for the vast majority of the book that I actually had to force myself to pick it up. But every time I did, I was extremely rewarded with this incredibly incisive writing about a man who is just cannot function, basically. And then when I got to Jen's perspective, that was the best payoff I think I've ever experienced in a book mm. reading ever in my life. Like. I'd spent the whole time telling my partner, like, oh, this book is kind of frustrating me. I think it's going a little bit too hard, blah, blah. And by the end, I was bawling on the couch, holding it up to him being like, you have to read this. (laughs) You have to read this book. It's so fun to me. So it's a five. It's a five for me. All right. Maybe I'll get your input on this. Okay. Because I didn't read this book and think five out of five. I think too much of it I found too hard to get through. You found it frustrating. Yeah. But the end was like, as I said, some of the best writing I've ever read, Mm. some of the most powerful to me, and it sort of really hit me where it was intending to hit me. And it's like, can you rate a book five stars for 70 pages? Mm. Were the pages that strong that Mm. the book can be five, or is it a four and a half? Mm. How much has it stuck with you since? You closed this book finished it maybe two months ago. Yeah. How much has it stuck with you in the two months? Well, I also think this has been my favourite book club recording we've done. Oh, mm. I've loved it. I, this is one I was thinking I think, maybe recording this is one of my favourite episodes we've done under Shameless Media. Yeah, I ever. agree. Oh. So, <laughs> I, so I think the thing for me and I think the thing I grapple with with book club ratings is like, am I rating the book or am I rating the experience of the book, which yeah. includes the conversation mm. that happens later, how mm. much I enjoy talking about it and how much it sticks with me. With that in mind, maybe it's a five. Mm. And I hope people listen to this episode because maybe people will be quite intimidated when they see our Instagram post that has three sets of five stars. And I'm sure people will comment on it saying, how did you all give it fives? Listen to this because I think it's not just about 250 pages. For me, it's about the 70. Absolutely. It just captures so much about modern relationships and where we stand as women and particularly women in heterosexual relationships that Mm. I've been thinking about it ever since I put it down yeah 100 percent. 
Props I hope Shelley. men read this. I really hope oh. more. I don't think they will because unfortunately men don't read many fiction books. No, but. 100%. My brother's been asking me for book recommendations, actually. Maybe I'll just hand him this one. Um, <laughs> guys, that is all we've got time for today. Please come to us with your thoughts. I know you guys will have so many thoughts. We are on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club, on TikTok at The Shameless Book Club as well. This podcast was audio edited by Chelsea Srinivasan and it was the rest of it, I guess, prepped and talked <laughs> by us. <laughs> I sort of had started a sentence and didn't know where to go. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Back in your ears soon. Yeah, and guys, please click follow if you like the Shameless Book Club. Clicking follow is the best way to support what we do. We want to give you more content. So if you can support the show by clicking follow and telling your friends about it, sending them this episode, popping it up on your Instagram stories, we would be so grateful. Yeah, share this on your Instagram share stories. Share the shit out of it. That's the number one thing you can do for us right now. We love you. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.